Bun. Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know Just what you've done Good evening and welcome to Stop Child Abuse Now Show. This is scan number 3295. That's 3295. Um, I'm Carol Levine. I'm Vice President of, of NASCO. And I run just about every Friday night show. And I do a lot of research during the course of the week to come up with good topics, things that we need to know. And then sometimes we have someone who will write something on Facebook, which is how I'm going to start out tonight. Her name is Tracy Oldman, okay? And you guys all know her because she puts topics on on, um, Facebook. Many times I use them, and this one was written by, I forget the person's name, but she found it, and and, uh, that's good. So, Tracy, if you're listening, thank you. I'm going to start out with uh, what you sent to Facebook. Now we're going to be speaking about um, children also, too, and I, of course, always have stats, and I tell you where I get them from, so you can always look it up yourself. But anyway, um, Tracy sent something on Facebook that uh, really hit home. And it's it's something that's going to hit home with a lot of people, not just me, all right? And uh, it's something that we tend to do when we're in a relationship, especially when we have children. There's a lot of reasons for that. But it's called delayed realization, okay, delayed realization, and there's already been some um, comments on Facebook about this article that she found. And um, so anyway, what it goes to, what it's speaking about in this article, it says many survivors of long-term abuse experience a delayed realization. I thought, what the heck are they talking about? And then it goes on to say, it's not very long, but it's very powerful. It says, when they can finally see how wrong they have been treated, only after they left their abuser for quite a while. Then all of a sudden, a light bulb, I guess, goes off in their head. Hey. And then because even after the victim ended the relationship with the abuser, most are still trauma-bonded, so they couldn't see the situation clearly. That is why education, and unfortunately most of the time, uh, no contact is essential in the healing process, and it's called dissociative daydreamer. <laughs> Boy, does that fit me. <laughs> okay. I forgot to read the mission statement. 
But that's what we're going to start out with, okay? I'm excited about this article here. And we have a lot to speak about when I explain what that is. Okay. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA, and that's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so from two different ways. Number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse. Presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. We know this. Just look at the news. It's enough to make you want to vomit. Offering Number two is offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues preventing or, or in involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. Now, I want people to really look at our website, okay? Uh, forgive me if my throat is a little off. I am a little sick tonight, but I'm okay, all right? I just have a bug. But anyway, um, prevention, intervention, and recovery is something that all parents should really start looking at. And uh, our, our NASCA website, that's naasca.org, nasca.org. If you open that up, go down to the red blocks, and each block has a title in it. It's a different, uh, you know, subject matter. Go all the way over to the right, but not the last one, the next to last one. Click on to that red block, and it will open up to prevention, intervention, and recovery in different articles in different areas. It teaches you how to, to talk to your children, why you should talk to your children. I have an article there I gave Bill some years ago. It was a very, very heavy article about pedophiles, how they behave. Um, it was written by pedophiles, and uh, I believe that's under prevention, okay? And it's on a, um, well, like a, a brown type of wooded thing, and it has some wording on it. You click onto that. And this whole article was written by pedophiles who were court-ordered to go to this program and to complete treatment. Now, we know the treatment doesn't work. Um, I wish that it did. I wish I could say that it did. But I won't go there. They're still trying, trying to find answers about pedophiles. But it does tell you how a pedophile thinks and how he operates And his very last sentence says, if you don't educate your children about pedophiles, I will. Now, that should get you mad. Got me mad. (laughs) Okay. So that's something that, you know, know, parents, please, for God's sake, make it a part of parenting because we do not live in an innocent world. Don't act like we do. And you're not doing justice for your child if you don't teach your child about the good, the bad, and the ugly of this world. All right, so enough of that. Um, I hope you'll do that, though, because in today's society, it's gotten so much worse. Um, Years ago, it was bad, but now it's horrific, with children being abducted and and, uh, and other things. All right, so what I want to speak about now is this article, and again, it's by, you know, sent by Tracy Oldman, and it's delayed realization, okay? Now, many survivors of long-term abuse experience a delayed realization when they can finally see how wrong, I want you to think about what I'm reading here, 
when they can finally see how wrong they have been treated uh, after they left their abuser for quite a while. It takes time for them to see it. Because even after the victim ended the relationship with the abuser, most are still trauma-bonded, so they couldn't see the situation clearly. That is why education, and unfortunately, most of the time, no contact is essential in the healing process. And again, that was given out by Dissociation Daydreamer. Okay, or dissociative, I'm sorry, dissociative daydreamer. That's it, dissociative daydreamer. Can't read my own writing. I write fast. All right, so what happens so often in, in relationships, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. I don't know if guilty is even the right word. I have to think about that because I just saw this article a couple of days ago and haven't had a chance to really look at it until today again. But so often we, so, we fall so madly in love with our spouse to be. And and you think that person, you know, you you just have them so high on a pedestal and and uh, be careful how they treat you, okay? Because um I was already so damaged from past life, I'm going to put it that way, all the issues that I went through like many of us have been, that I couldn't even see the red flags. I didn't know the red flags of a relationship that was doomed. Didn't know it. And this was with both marriages. Now, I'm a bright gal, but I still couldn't see it, okay, because of environmental conditioning. That's what it's from, environmental conditioning. When we grow up in houses and homes where there's a lot of violence, a lot of you know people getting slapped around or whatever, and uh, there's a lot of problems in the family, maybe a lot of cursing, a lot of put-downs, all the things that you find in dysfunctional homes, um, it becomes like a way of life. And and a lot of times we uh, we don't realize that this is poor treatment because this is, you know, what we're used to. You actually don't become, you know, nervous about it or whatever. You know, you might think, well, this is wrong. And uh, if a child is involved with, you know, the, say there's a lot of uh, physical violence between mommy and daddy, okay, this physical violence that goes on between mother and, and father, yes, is horrifying to a child. And what a child suffers from that is fear. And uh, But they still don't realize, nothing clicks in their little head that this isn't right or, you know, um, you know, this might happen to me or I don't want to be like this because they're too young. They're growing up, they're kids, and they don't realize that uh, that will happen to them maybe if they choose wrong. A lot of times they don't know how to choose right. I certainly didn't. That's why I was married twice, okay? So the reason why this is called as it is is after a person, you know, goes and gets married, say they come from a dysfunctional home, they uh, many times they realize they have problems, but they don't realize from where it came, okay? They, did, they don't get it. And like with my first husband, I went back three times. Three times I went back to this nut. <laughs> I can call him that. He's not going to come out of the grave and kill me or anything. 
But while I was with him, there were times when I did fear for my life. But then I saw my mother go through that. I used to mop blood off of her face at the age of four, okay? And after a while, it just became something that I had to do, you know? And I didn't think too much about it, except Mommy and Daddy, I wish they would stop this fighting because I love them both so much. You see, my father didn't hit me. He didn't abuse me in any way. And that, that confuses a child. They see Mommy and Daddy, and Daddy's hitting Mommy and causing all this terrible grief. But he never laid a finger on me, okay? In fact, uh, he said that I was his favorite one. I don't know why. So my brother was the one who did get hit by him a few times. But not enough for him to even turn on him. So what happens in situations like this, we see this horrific abuse going on to our mother. And somehow, you know, you mop her up, you mop the floor up, you can do what you have to do. Um, I was told finally that she was going to teach me how to call the police in case Daddy got nuts again. That's the way she brought it. That's probably why I use it so often. Um, And she did. She took me over to the phone. And in those days... All you had to do was dial zero, okay, and <laughs> you got an operator. All right, so the operator came on, and she told me to say, police department, please. That's exactly what I said, and she knew she was talking to a little girl, and she thought that was cute, and she giggled, but I got the police department. Then my mother took the phone, and she said, listen, I'm teaching my daughter how to use the phone in case something bad happens at home. It can be anything, right? So the officer commended her and all this other stuff, and they hung up. So I knew what to do if I thought that maybe I'd better call for help. Now, there was only one violent act after that because they were very close together, but I'd seen many. Because I wasn't the type of kid that stayed up in my bedroom. I came sneaking down the stairs many more times than they realized because I was scared that mommy was going to die. My older brother taught me what death meant because he said he was going to kill her, right? So I would stand and I would watch. This last particular time, he picked up a very heavy frying pan. It was one of the black, you know, the steel ones, whatever. And uh, the heavy ones. And I didn't play with that one because it was heavy. It wasn't fun to play with. And I knew, though, in my mind's eye, now I was five years old by that time, um, that if Daddy hit Mommy in the head with that, she would probably die like the, you know, the ladybug that my brother killed upstairs to show me what dead meant. So that was the only time, basically, that I screamed, no, Daddy, no. And he came down the hallway, and I was frozen. We speak about flight. We speak about fleeing. We speak about freezing. And then the newer one is called fawn. That's F-A-W-N. That's when you turn into a people pleaser. All right, so I was frozen like a statue. I couldn't move. And that was the only time he picked me up underneath my arms and slammed me against the stairwell, and I felt every bone in my back. 
He didn't say a word, but he had a maniacal look on his face. And he opened up his hands and dropped me like a rag doll. He walked out of the house and he closed the door so roughly that the glass big panel in the door, like a lot of city houses have, big panel door, uh, the, the glass went flying everywhere. And I remember he was a powerful man. He weighed 240 pounds. He was a powerful big man. At that time, I hated all of a sudden my father. And I was very frightened of him. And the glass went flying, and I was, like, covering my body so the glass wouldn't hit me. It was flying around me. Bottom of the banister area was close to the door. I didn't see him again for years, and I didn't care. Okay. But what happens is you have memories. Many times when a man and a woman are together, getting back to the, the parents, Getting back to the adults of this situation, they have good times. They had bad times. And what happens is, um, like someone said to me today, well, you had some really good times. Well, that was marriage number two. But anyway, yes, we can all have, we can all have, you know, good times in a marriage. And yet, that same person who treats you well may all of a sudden turn into a monster. So a person gets very you know, conflicted. They're in a very bad situation. And um, especially when they come again from homes like most of us came from on NASCAR, we were used to violence. We saw too much violence. I was brought up with guns all my life, although they never picked up a gun when they would fight any of them, the males in the family or even in the house that I lived. It was all smacking and punching and you know hitting no one ever picked up a gun. At least they didn't do that. But it wasn't enough for me to, you know, really, really turn on him until that last final night as a child. As far as my mother was concerned, she was done with him. But you see, she stayed with him for many, many years before I was born. So there was a part of her that wanted to stay, and there was a part of her that wanted to go. And I think with my act of coming down screaming, no, daddy, no, that was that's what did it, okay? She knew she had to get away from him, and and I was glad she did, okay? So I wasn't one of these kids that felt really too much like I missed daddy ever because I saw what daddy was. I, I, I saw too much. I saw too much. But many times in relationships with women, especially, I mean, men can be abusers too. I lived across the street from one in Red Bank. Yes, I did. And the man ended up sleeping in his car. He was so afraid of his wife. And the kids were being beaten by her. She had five children. They had five children. And uh, she was the abuser. Well, his way of handling it was to go out in the car and sleep. It didn't matter if it was winter time. It was, it was crazy. So with women, though, mostly, most of the time, the trauma dash bonded. It's because they look back and they think about the good times they had. And then, too, don't forget there's a lot of gaslighting going on. And we know what gaslighting is. The abusive partner is the one that actually 
um, makes the other person who is the, the victim, and I'll call her or him a victim at that time, to be the crazy one. They might even make up things. Don't you remember the time you did this and you did that, and the person doesn't know? No, no, I don't remember. I didn't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Um, well, I, I actually saw my so-called father, and I'll get into that later, my so-called father gaslighting my mother. Of course, I didn't know what that meant that back then. I hadn't worked in the field or anything. I didn't know anything about it. I just know what I saw as a child. When children see situations like this, um, I think I probably uh, became hypervigilant at a very, very early age, looking over my shoulder all the time to see if I was being followed or if somebody was going to hit me. Because even though he didn't hit me, I thought he might. And that particular night that he left for several years, um, and I didn't see him again in that during that time, um, he, that was this, the hardness that he had ever given me. He, he just, I felt every bone in my back. I thought I broke my back. I thought I broke my back, okay? So I didn't miss that guy. But many times when people are in a relationship, they have so much trouble breaking free Usually, women don't make as much money as men. I'm saying usually. Depends on the jobs. And they have children. And if they come from backgrounds like I and many of us on NASCA came from, um, where mommy and daddy splits up, many times we stick around because we don't want it, you know, want them to go through what we went through. Children need a mother and a father. Statistics show that in, in homes that don't have a father, the crimes are far more than in homes where there is a father. Now, that's just the way it is. You look it up yourself, you'll, you'll, you'll find it. All you have to do is type in your browser. It's real easy. Marriages with no father and children. Something as simple and goofy as that, it'll, it'll pop right up. I find a lot of my information that way. I don't have to word it fancy. It comes up. Single-family homes, whichever way you want to wear it. Um, so many times women think because they've been gaslighted by their partner, maybe it was partly my fault. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe, you know, and, and we all do something wrong. But maybe it really is more my fault than what I remember. These are things that go through, um, you know, a, a victim's head. A survivor victim, victim survivor, whichever way you want to word it. Maybe I could have been better at keeping the house cleaner. Maybe I should have gone out and tried to get a part-time job. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe, 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 maybe. Well, she's not the one that hit him over the head. See what I'm saying? She's not the one that um, was so foul-mouthed and drunk and, and uh, abusive and, and always coming home and smashing things. And, and causing terror that way. See, that's where the fear factor comes in with the children. Me being the snoopy person that I am, I saw it all, honey, okay? I don't think I ever stayed upstairs. I would hide behind chairs. I would hide so I could see. And, and um, I didn't know what I could do. I, I started doing that at four. What does a four-year-old do? They wait for the monster to leave and then go in the kitchen and see if mommy's breathing. See, see... See if she needs help or if I can help her. 
and I did many times. Now, Mommy finally had enough, okay? She had enough. I was six by that time, and I was placed in a very bad place. Guy turned out to be a pedophile, and that's when my sexual abuse started. But that's not what I'm going to talk about tonight. What I'm going to talk about is what children see, how it affects them, how it affects them, affects them physically, mentally, emotionally. What does it do to them in childhood, and what does it do to them later on in life? Okay. Then also too, I want to uh, mention a little bit more about this article. That one word there, trauma bonded. Okay, that Michelle should tell you something. So they couldn't see the situation clearly. They came from homes many times where the dysfunction was horrible. And one thing about people, they can be very wise, very smart, and with their victims, they can see where they're, they're, where they're lacking self-esteem. You know, we feel badly about ourselves, and, and uh, maybe we were told we were stupid or, or whatever the case might have been from our parents, and we believed it. And then these guys are like predators in this sense because they can tell when someone feels badly about themselves. And then they will choose uh, a girlfriend, see how that goes, and if it works out, then maybe make that person his unfortunate wife. And and then it all starts. But in the meantime, he might buy her flowers afterwards. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. Please forgive me. And he'll take her out to dinner. He'll buy her flowers and all these other things. And somehow the mind, because it has been so broken already because of how he grew up, instead of focusing on why he took us to dinner and why he bought us those flowers, the person, again, focuses on the flowers and the dinner. Somehow they're not ready quite yet to look at the bad. They're only looking at the good. That's why I always say the good, the bad, and the ugly. It turns ugly after a while. It gets very, very ugly so that you end up on the floor like my mother, almost dead. Many victims of, of domestic violence, and of course the month isn't quite over yet, so I'm, I'm putting this as my parting show talking about domestic violence and how it you know, affects the family. But many people, um, unfortunately, they do get killed. I don't have the newest stats on that. I did have it some years ago, but you can be sure with the world that we're living in and with other things and all the pressure and, and not knowing what tomorrow brings and, and if a person's unstable to begin with, they're going to have more problems and they're going to, you know, take it out more on their family. If you were to call the Mayo Hospital right now, you would find that in, in the um, emergency room and maybe those even that are keeping have been a lot of head trauma. They love to punch women and kids in the head. They love it. And unfortunately, a lot of them get bleeding of the brain. A lot of things can happen. 
So what we have to learn as survivors, as survivors, we have to learn to love ourselves, and that's a biggie. Because don't forget, from almost birth, because from bad parents, I'm just saying, and then all throughout that, and then bad marriages like I had, and, you know, not being able to choose properly, we have to work through each one of our own individual problems, which is why this is called the healing journey. We have to address all different kinds of problems that we deal with on our own psychological level, where we are deficient, where we had to get help. Now, I've gotten my help. I ended up working in the field. That's why I can speak as I speak, and I've learned from it. So I try to pass along a lot of the things that I've learned along the many years because I'm not 22 anymore. Lori's 22, isn't that right? Oh, me? (laughs) (laughs) How many years ago would that be? (laughs) Well, I'm not very good at math, so you figure it out. (laughs) I'm not calculating. I ain't doing it in my head. (laughs) (laughs) It was a long time ago. Okay. Well, I don't know how old you were when you got married, but I was 19. Okay. No, you guessed it pretty much. I was, um, I think I was like 21 or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I, all I know is this November is going to be 45 years. So if you deduct that from 65, uh, so then it had to be like 20. Mm-hmm. I guess it was 20. I got married the same month my birthday and his birthday were in. So we were at the mm-hmm. end of our 19th. No, we were ended. Yeah, we had to be at the end. Um, but it was around there. Yeah, something like that. But it's important enough that everything that you're saying is absolutely true. I mean, I witnessed, oh, my God, I witnessed what you're describing in there um, as far back as I can remember. Um, I didn't see my family. They were outright abusers, and they didn't try to hide it in the house. Um, as my earliest memory my memory is it was quiet during the day because Gilda was always in bed. My brother was torturing me um, and destroying stuff. And my father would walk through the door for, and the whole house started to shake because nothing was done. There was no food. My brother was destroying crap. So he exploded as soon as he walked in the door. And between all the rest of the day, um, they were exploding until he went to sleep. And that's how it was ever since I remember. Um, it was frightening back then. But I saw the craziness in both of them, the worst of the worst, because they showed it to each other, and I watched it. So there was never any doubt in my mind that they were both lunatics, even though I didn't know the word back then. It was just in total craziness. And I think having a close-up view like that instead of having it, like, say, you know, Jack never actually, I don't remember, buying Gilda Roses, any any kind of flat. He never did anything, you know, for her because it was a known thing. They hated each other. Everybody in the family hated each other. No good times. There's no nothing there. So um, he was in fear and... Exactly what you were describing happens. It's a horror. No kids should have to go through it. 
It's very frightening. And when that monster came down the hallway, I saw him again. I was, I, I was putting that pedophile on when I was six. I saw him again when I was eight, again when I was 16, my so-called father. And again when I was 32, strange math there, but that's the way it was. And And then he passed away. He passed away from alcoholism because they were all a bunch of alcoholics, a whole bunch of them. On both sides of the family, actually, there was alcoholism in my mother's family, too. And she was my mother, okay? But, you see, when you're watching all of this, I mean, I think uh, my heart was beating so fast. I remember it almost popping out of my chest one night. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Because uh, the violence was so bad, and the screaming, and the yelling, and then and, and seeing blood, and all this other stuff. I mean, how do they expect children to sleep? My brother, he we went under the covers. He was five years older than me. She would have had five children. I was the, the last one born. Three of them died. My brother almost died, and I was the healthy one. So I was the last one. I was one of five, I would have been. But when you send children up to bed to go to sleep, there's no nighttime stories. There's uh, none of the things that um, I tried to do from learning from where I'd been to do with my children, to sit and, and, uh, <laughs> and tell them nighttime stories. I'm laughing because remember when we used to tease our hair? Yeah, Remember those days when we... I, That's so never sad to remember it. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm so old. <laughs> well, That's honey, I'm older than you, and I remember teasing my hair. Yes, I do. And <laughs> let me tell you something. I would have so much fun with them. Now, I would tease my hair like a wild lady, and my hair was very long, and uh, and it was peroxide pirate blonde, okay? <laughs> so I would tease my hair. And then I like poke my head in their bedroom doors, and my daughter would laugh. She'd laugh her her little ass off, all right. And whereas my son, for some reason, he'd go, oh, oh. <laughs> so I'd scare him. And then of course I'd take the teeth down. I'd fix my hair, and I had so much fun with them. You see, I spent time with them. And in those days, they had the golden books. Remember the golden books? Do you remember them? They're still here in the Amish store. I saw it yesterday. Couldn't believe it. I wanted to get a set. I don't have any yeah, grandkids, but I still, I still want to set. They're collectible. They're collectible yeah. if you get the old I ones. Shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go back. Definitely. I'll put together something so, you know, it looks probably normal. Um, I don't know. You That'll know what good. it is? Um, when you don't have any of that, did you ever notice that when you're looking at all your friends, you, you really saw what you didn't have, like how much you didn't have? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not only growing up and realizing it's crazy where you are and you're having all this other kind of damage done to you from the terror that's going on, but when you go into, like, say, school, because it's like the first thing in there, um, you you coming across kids that actually had normal parents, um, and they they show you could see that they got the love, they got the golden books read to them, they got anything and everything done for them. You could tell they turn into different people. Is mm-hmm. early at school, so that's when 
you know, that's the time. I'm with prevention, too, because I believe as soon as that kid goes out into public, um, you start teaching what's going on, what to do, how to protect yourself, how to talk to somebody, cold words, whatever it is you need, you know, especially if someone's picking you up you don't recognize. You know, so you set up a cold word between your parents and that you, and you would ask that person if they say we're an abductor, pick the question, and if they didn't say the code word, then you knew to run the other way, that kind of stuff. That all counts to kid. So when you get nothing of that, that's the kid that shows up and they look like an empty shell. And you could pick them out as young as when they enter school. Damage already yeah. done. Once six, they say you the formative years. What are you yeah. forming when you're watching all this? You're forming. You're already formed. And it's in a bad way. I had dead eyes. I didn't know what dead mm-hmm. eyes meant. Okay, that's a nasty word. <laughs> but that's the way they look at it. And they even, in, in the field of psychiatry, they call it dead eyes also. And um, that's when you don't have any, like, uh, shine to your eyes. They're, they have, they don't look like real eyes. There's no expression. The expression isn't right. Um, the child is always looking down at the ground and certainly never making contact. And they carry their body differently. Um, you know, they're not happy, and you can see it. And they have dead eyes, and that's what they call it. So children, you know, who come from good homes, they, they're they bouncing around, and they're healthy, and they're rosy-cheeked or whatever, you know. I mean, they look right. They look normal. They look different. And the kids, on the other hand, who come from homes, when there is all of this commotion, this this ugliness, this, this hatred, it's not good to stay together for the sake of the children. This is something I want to get out because I did that with husband number one, okay? And and because I didn't have a mommy and daddy. And, and even um, I found out years later, yes, that that was not my father. I'm really kind of glad that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Ancestry, I did ancestry. And I, I really know who I am today. And uh, I know what nationalities I am and all this other stuff. I didn't know it before. Of course, I have my mother in me, so I have, you know, I have German, and I have French, I have Italian, and uh, Swiss, those four things. So, whereas before, it was mostly German, and that's not true. That's not what I am. So, anyway, the point is this, that um, when a child is brought up in such terrible, terrible dysfunction, and they don't have the normalcy of life, like the golden books, and, uh, look, parents are going to have arguments. Don't get me wrong, okay? No one agrees all the time. But I will say one thing about my mother and my stepfather. I don't know when they got married. Um, I didn't know him. Uh, my mother obviously got a divorce, and that's why I was gone so long apart from her. She wasn't even – she was in New York. They were already putting together the greenhouse place in New York, which is where I ended up moving finally by the time I was nine, I guess it was. Far too late. I should have moved long before then. That's another story. But the point is, um, he wasn't meant to be a father either. He and I couldn't even sit at the same table together alone. We felt that uncomfortable. We never bonded. 
although he was a good man, he kept food in the house, he kept a roof over our head, and, and, you know, he was there, but we never spoke, and that's unfortunate. So I felt like I didn't really have any parents, you know. And my mother, um, well, she had gotten raped, people, many years ago, and out I popped. It's as simple as that. That's where I get the other uh, stuff from, the Italian and the Swiss. So she always hated me, so I didn't have a chance as far as with parents. Now, what happens in homes where children are neglected all the time and they have to fend for themselves and they end up on the street, which I ended up doing, and I was treated better there, um, um, you, you just grow up old. They they used Twisted on the news the other night, so I guess I can use Twisted. Okay, they do. They just don't grow up normal. And we have to learn a normalcy. So that's like another complex problem on top of a problem that already exists. Seeing people you think of your parents, my mother was, but my father no. You know, to, to fight that way and then not being able to choose properly. And this is nothing new. This happens all the time. Every day, every day. People don't know how to choose properly because they came from dysfunctional homes. And that becomes the norm. Many times we hear about teenagers who don't know how to choose boyfriends. The boyfriend cheats on them, um, maybe shoves her around and all this other stuff. And um, what do they do? They end up getting married anyway. And then there comes the bad marriage. Nothing's going to change, okay? That's the way he is, and she takes it. And as long as a person takes it, whether it be like a male or a guy, I mean, a female, I mean, uh, look at the guy who was sleeping out in the car across the street because he was so afraid of his wife. He also spoke to his broom. I just want you to know that. <laughs> Poor guy. I don't know what he did. He, they had a glass-in porch, and he would sweep, 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 sweep the broom to stay away from her, I guess. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you I wasn't inside that house. I saw enough, though. And in those days, in the 70s, there was no help. There was no help. So you have to admit, Lori, and Philip, too, from, now you're too young, I think, Philip, you wouldn't know that, but um, from the 70s up to today, at least we do have programs. There is some help out there. Well, I mean, we do, all right? And women can go to shelters, um, and some of them are very good. There's still those that aren't quite up to par as far as I'm concerned. But there are some that are very good. We even have something that's called the underground, you know, which I'm not going to get into too much detail because it should stay underground, right? But there's things that women can, is you know, it's there for them. And for men, too. Um, I have a this organization that I want to get on, A Safe Place for Men, it's called. You should, everybody should look that up, A Safe Place for Men. And... Um, that organization, we had this guy on the show once, oh, I don't know, some years ago, maybe three or four years ago. And I'm trying to contact him now to see if he'll come on again. And and these are for men who are abused. It's not just a girl thing. It's a guy thing, too. And, and we're coming 
forward more, we're moving forward more with with men who have been abused, um, who are willing to speak about it and willing to get help, and they're being accepted now. Okay, so you see, times are changing a little bit. They're changing a little bit, and we're fighting hard, harder, a little bit more as a society. That's why that movie was made, The Sound of Freedom. They went after the, the, the traffickers and other people who weren't even traffickers, but who were still, you know, stealing children. And uh, they're they're working harder now to try and work on child abuse. Now, with all the stuff that we're going through in our own country and, and the world now, it's nation against nation against nation. Very frightening. Um, I don't want that to interfere with the work that's being done for child abuse, but it might slow it down a little bit because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, okay, or next week or a month from now. Everything is such a mess, and I've got my own thoughts on that, and you know some of them, all right? (laughs) All right, so, but the truth is that we have to straighten our own country out first, and then you help other people because a house that has a weak foundation crumbles. And our country doesn't have a very good foundation right now because the influences of bad people, and I'm going to leave it at that. So, anyway, the point is with the child abuse, I want to ask Philip, do you have anything, a question you want to ask or, or a comment you want to make? Oh, no, not. I don't think so. Okay. So I want to go over some of these uh, things that I came up with. Lighting isn't very good in here tonight. I don't know why. All right. Um, This is from February 9th, 2023. Okay. New child maltreat reports findings. Now, I happened to find this late this afternoon. Right now, there's 1,820 in our country who have suffered from maltreatment. Now, maltreatment is a funny word, but that's the way social services, um, you know, they don't go into detail, but it's a a broad span that can be physical, mental, like we speak about on the show, physical, right, mental, emotional, and sexual, and neglect. So I guess they lumped it all into maltreatment. Um, They do have a way of breaking it down, but they don't have it in this particular article here. At least one in seven children have suffered child abuse and neglect in the past year in the United States. One in seven. Put seven children in front of you. One of those kids is going through some sort of neglect. Could be physical, mental, emotional, sexual, or neglect. How many children do we have in the United States? Think about it. It says, how many forced-to-care children in the United States from 2023? Now, this is a big difference because in one article it said 391,000, and then another article, which has a date, and it's actually closer to our date, says 500,000. I don't know why. But I can tell you it's a lot of kids. And and that's that's a shame. It does say in uh, 2019 there were more than the 391,000, So I assume that the other, which is given, is probably closer because it says 500,000 children in foster care, many suffering from physical, 
mental and developmental health and other problems. So they go into this foster care system, and many times they're not addressed, the problems that they have. They just simply aren't. So, and many times we found out recently that many of them are taken out and they're, they're used for sex purposes, and then some of them are brought back and others aren't. That's ridiculous. Where do these children have to go that's safe, right? Um, let's see, leading cause of maltreatment at home. Now, I like when it zeroes in on the home because that's what causes most of our problems, all right, is the background that we came from. I don't know, Philip, what your background is. I only know what mine and what Lori's is. And then the other ones that we can read online, okay, um, people have been on the show. You go into archives, and, and you can get a good idea of what type of lives they came from. But a lot of the problems um, that happen at home is because of substance abuse. Someone's an alcohol, drug addict, whatever. Um, and also, to the age of parents. Sometimes, you know, kids, they mess around, they get pregnant, and um, they end up getting married too early. Lack of education. Well, maybe they don't go to school right. They come from homes that are um, so terribly dysfunctional. They don't have parents that care whether they go to school or they don't. And then also they lack education about what happens when you have a kid too young and, and how you have to go out and support that child, you know, getting work, how to budget. A lot of kids don't know how to budget. It turns into disaster. Okay, difficulty bonding with parents. I went through that with myself. Kids that don't feel like parents who care about them, they don't have a, a special bonding with that parent or either parent. Um, many times I felt lonely. I remember feeling lonely. It makes you feel lonely, and um, you feel like you're not a part of, not a part of the family. A lot of times, why not, when you come from families like that, okay? As of August 2023, you see how current a lot of these are. As of August 2023, Oklahoma ranked the highest in the United States for domestic violence between man and woman. I was a little bit surprised, to be honest with you. Think of other states (laughs) in the union. I, I would I would think more of the of the city areas, big city areas, you know, like, oh, all right, like New York. I hate to pick on my New York, and yeah, you're in New York, but you know what I'm saying. But it was Alabama, okay, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma and Alabama, Oklahoma. They sound the same, believe me. You put two people like one from Oklahoma and one from Alabama, they sound the same. All right, but anyway, that's beside the point. So there's a little more information there. And... um. I have here. Oh, that's a doctor's appointment. We don't want to talk about that one. Okay, so on August 17, 2023, yes, Oklahoma ranked highest in the United States for domestic violence for men and women. Now, they do offer at YMCA's, I want to get this information out. At YMCA's, they they have reported over 43,000 domestic violence calls in Oklahoma, which resulted in 
a thousand arrests. Well, now if you get forty-three thousand domestic violence calls and only a thousand get arrested, that's not very good. I don't know. I I didn't see the people. I don't know what they looked like. I can't tell you. But um, it seemed like you'd have more arrested out of forty-three thousand. I don't know. Maybe it's because the backgrounds that a lot of us on NASCA come from are are so volatile that you'd think that, you know, more people should be arrested. I don't know. But we're not talking about little tiffs here. That's not the point, believe me. I do know that the jails are overloaded, they're overcrowded. Maybe they're letting a lot of things go, and that's all throughout the country. Now the YM, I'm sorry, the YWCA, so one is for men, one is for women. The YWCA also houses and has uh, many programs and options. I read this. I read the whole article. I'm not going to put it here. Um, We only have an hour and a half. We are able to connect them to resources and keep them safe. And this is under MAPS4 Project. Strange title but MAPS, M-A-P-S, number four, project. Anyone who feels like they're homeless or they have no place to go or they want to, don't want to go into a shelter, these people here, um, they actually have programs involved where they help you financially uh, if you need an attorney, because I read the article. If you need an attorney, um, they, they help you with that also, too. Um, if you have children, they'll help you with housing. So that's what I'm saying. Many, many years ago, we didn't have this. We have it today, okay? And if people don't know about it, maybe they'll know now. If they listen to the show, hello? It says, now the YWCA also houses and has many programs and options. We're able to connect them to resources and keep them safe. Again, MAPS, M-A-P-S, for project so that's that's a biggie right there um i remember putting packets together like i've said before and i still think that women should do this um or men i keep saying women because that's the stats show by the way that there are almost as many women abusers as far as pedophilia is concerned as men and then also too um, there are also many women who um, abuse men physically. I hate to say this, but when I was part of the Fab Five and we were singing in New York City, one of my gals, um, she got married to a preacher. She did. She got married to a preacher. And um, I remember going over her house one night. She's dead now. I'm sure he's fine, but she died. But anyway, she picked up this uh, picture and hit him over the head with it. I don't even know what for. That's the last time I saw her. This guy had gotten her a beautiful car, and inside the car there was a plaque. I think I told you this story. I don't know if I told you this or not. Lori, but there was a mm-hmm. plaque inside. There was a plaque inside that said, "This car was made for Joni." She also had a person that would come over and make her clothing. Can you imagine this stuff? I can't. All right, I 
think about my husband's? Oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, she had all the best of the best. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what was wrong with her. She knew she and she actually went into the service and they accepted her. She went into the service. And they couldn't see if there was something wrong with her. She might have been able to sing real well, but uh, <laughs> they didn't know the rest of her, okay? She did try to commit suicide in the service. She came from a dysfunctional home, just like all of us here. Um, it was We may all have little different variations of our stories, but it was totally dysfunction. And uh, so she was a very, very unhappy girl, and she tried to commit suicide in the service, and, of course, she was let out of the service. And that's when she met this guy, I had it backwards a little bit, the preacher. And um, that didn't work out well either, and now she's, I don't know where God took her, okay? Having the faintest idea. So what I'm trying to get across here is that there are places for people to go. Um, if you're being abused at home, for God's sake, make the packet that I'm talking about. Get a, a, another picture of your driver's license. Um, get your important papers, your birth certificate, um, whatever else you might have that you feel is important. And if you have children, of course, their birth certificates, things like that. All the important papers, have a copy made, or just keep the original, I don't know, whatever. Um and start sack, you know, putting some money in there. It's hard right now for everybody. I get it. But, you know, the night may come where it gets so violent that you just want to flee, and you won't freeze like I do at times. You'll flee, all right? And um, and you'll take off. Of course, another set of car keys and a house key. Always make sure you have two sets of that. So you have a set in your bag and you have a set in your packet that you make. Hide it someplace where you know it's safe. And then leave. And it's the wee hours in the morning, your children all grumpy, oh, Mommy, I'm scared about all this stuff. Go to a motel for a night. You should have enough money in there so you can go into the motel and then make your phone calls the next day. Okay. I get into a shelter. Don't stay for the sake of the children. Because the children are learning more violence. They're learning how and what it's like to be volatile. And then it'll come to them one day that that's normal behavior. And then the teenagers will go out with boys they shouldn't go out with, okay? And they'll take guff from him or her. And then they'll get married because they think they're in love. They don't even know what love is, for God's sake. They never witnessed love. So, you know, these these are things that we go through. And I have to say that as far as crime is concerned, now we all know that I worked in detention. There were more boys on the side, the other side of the building where the boys were held, and they committed adult crimes. And then on my side, they were in the 20s, uh, 24 or 5 girls, I guess, and there were more boys on the other side. Of course, I have privy to the records because I worked with them. Okay, so I was an officer of the court. So, okay, so this is what I did. I worked with them. I looked just like a cop. The only thing I didn't have was a gun. I had handcuffs on me. And I had to handcuff these girls one at a time as we took them to court. 
and give feedback to the court system as to how they were behaving in juvie. And then, too, we had um, a few therapists there. But quite frankly, I, I don't know how any of them except for one made out, and she ended up dead, okay, which I was fearful of and I made note of. I actually went to work one day early. I wasn't really allowed in the building. Insurance wouldn't cover me if something happened to me. But I went into work early because I knew she was going to try and commit suicide, and she did that night, tried to commit suicide. She didn't die that time. But some years later, she did. Okay, and I'd lost contact with her, but the word got back to me. So you see, and she came from a horrible home. So these kids who are witnessing domestic violence with the parents, um, many times they don't know how to choose partners. They just simply don't. Um, Some take it and take it and take it and take it. They might even stay there all their life because they're afraid to make that final step or maybe there's something holding them back, whatever the case might be. What kind of life do they have? Are they happy? I don't think so. I certainly wasn't happy when I was living with husband number one especially. He was a movie star to look at. Total eye candy. Absolutely eye candy, Lori. Oh, my God. Looked just like, I told you before, Tom Selleck, I think. <laughs> Looked like him. Good-looking man. Two Harleys, I loved it. Okay. No, Harley, an Indian. So, a Cadillac, what more could I want? Now, this is how silly I was. I didn't know any deeper than that because we're not taught that. We're not taught that. We're not taught boundaries. Well, if they're not showing boundaries of how to behave between themselves, our parents, we wouldn't learn them either. And that's why we think of them as being normal, normal type of behavior. Oh, Mommy and Daddy, they're having another disagreement. Oh, I hope he doesn't hit her too hard. I hope she doesn't slap him too hard. Oh, my God, am I scared. Okay. So the way that we're treated in childhood and what we observe in childhood goes over into adulthood. And if we don't get help, we're not going to get help probably at home, believe me unless our homes are split up and um, maybe by diapers or one of them, okay, CPS, whatever, and if they do their job, they get you the help that you need. I was a part of that, and I was never happy. I saw a lot of things happen in court, which made me unhappy. You don't send a kid back to a volatile house. You let that volatile parents get help, and if the court decides that they've had enough help, and the, and the social workers, the therapists, all the, the psychiatrists, whomever is involved, then you send them back home. But you still, they have to continue their therapy because maybe they came from a background. This is the cycle, which they speak about, I think even in this article, about a cycle. And if not, it was one of the other articles that I lived, or lived, listen to me, I lived, yeah. But I looked up today. It was about cycles. That's where cycles come from. So somewhere, someone has to break the cycle. 
Otherwise, the family just continues on year after year, people making mistakes, witnessing terrible violence, maybe becoming volatile themselves. This is what happens to kids. How do they handle it? They become many times volatile. The cycle of violence, number one, it can become behavioral, okay, psychological problems, uh, academics, many times in school kids fail. They don't know what they're going home to. Alcohol and drug abuse, delinquent acts, that's how kids all of a sudden turn delinquent. They become delinquent, okay? And then they, like with the kids that I worked with, adult criminality. They go out and they commit adult crimes. That's where it comes from. When children repeat these acts, they have experienced, they perpetuate a cycle of violence that can continue through future generations, and that is the cycle. And that's where the sociopaths many times come from. You have to have it in your being, a part of your fabric, yes, in your genes. But it also shows the things that I learned that um, in the psych field that if a kid continuously sees, you know, a certain type of pattern and then they become that type of pattern and what happens is their children become that type of pattern, that's where the cycle all comes in and it can continue for generations. PTSD in, in children and teens, physical aftershocks that last for months or years, Okay, a kid gets terribly beaten, say, by a parent. Well, it doesn't have to be a parent. It could be somebody else in the family. Or maybe it can happen out on the street. If they don't get help, okay, they're going to have physical aftershocks. That's the way it's worded. Physical aftershocks that last for months or years. Number two, they can become aggressive or violent and self-destructive. The kids that go around cutting, and they they say that that helps to release some of the pressure that they're going through. There's a reason for that cutting, okay? It's because of what they've been through. Encourage your children to talk about these feelings. If you're in the middle of a divorce, now here's where the divorce comes up, and boy, I have to hurry up here. I have so much stuff here. All right. If you finally get your wits about you, and you realize the marriage isn't going to get better, and no one's willing to go for help, get the hell out of it, okay? Get out of it. Walk away. You're not happy. Your spouse isn't happy. And if children are in that, in, in that house, they're not happy either, okay? So you walk away from it. You have to. Now, the children have to get counseling because they know what they've seen. You see, they're going through the aftershock. The aftershock of what has been, what they've seen, what they've gone through when both parents were together. Don't stay together for the children because the longer you do it, the more things they have to get over, okay? And so they become violent out on the street themselves. They see violence they act violent. And that's where a lot of our violence is coming from on the street today, a lot of it. 
So if you're going to be a good parent, and you'll learn this through therapy, talking to counselors or talking to therapists or psychiatrists, they encourage your children to talk to you about their feelings of anger. Because you see, children, they, they do feel anger after a while, especially when they're out of the situation, and they start thinking about what they saw or experienced themselves. Because a certain amount of children do go through being physically harmed as well. Your child may need mental health professionals to find normal. They don't know what normal is. Why would they know what normal is? Okay, I did the same thing you did, Lori. I used to stand and look at people, okay, who I thought came from good homes. I did this. You probably did it too. And and yeah. I would look at them, yeah, this is what we do. I would look at them, and I'd see mommy's laughing and daddy happy, and the children's all bouncing around and happy, you know, and you could tell they loved each other. You could tell it was a family. It was a family that you didn't have, that I didn't have, the people on NASCA didn't have, okay, and all the other groups that are out there now, they didn't have. So what we do have are feelings of low self-esteem until we work that out. I don't have that anymore. I don't even care if people like me. <laughs> I really don't have gotten to that point. Um, but we, the normalcy, the normalcy is, you know, to be able to say, yes, that's the way it's supposed to be, and that's what I want. So that if we do decide to remarry, oh, my God, but if we do decide to remarry or have another relationship even, by that time, you learn boundaries. Boundaries is something that none of us had as a child. I could run the streets all I wanted. I could do what I wanted. And I didn't always make good choices because I was a kid. So you see, when you get out of that and you go through the aftershock and you start thinking and you have help that it's actually showing you what's normal too. And they teach you the first thing you learn is boundaries, boundaries that your parents should have had. They should have had more respect for each other. They should have had more love for each other. And all the things that they are supposed to have as parents and as husband and wife. So when you learn all of these things and you see all of these things and you start thinking, then you want better for yourself. And you start looking at your own life, what you went through. And the last thing that a parent should do, by the way, say your kids are still at the age where the father or the mother has visitation rights. Don't tell them all the negativities of that person because automatically the kid then starts thinking, gee, mommy or daddy's being really rough on them. And you know what I'm saying? What they have to do is that if that person is as bad as mommy thinks or daddy thinks, they're going to show it themselves. Like my father, as I knew him to be, showed it to me by his behavior. No birthday cards, no Christmas cards, no Christmas presents, um, no, 
you know, hey, calling you up and saying, hey, how are you doing today? How's school? None of the things that are normal. And then a kid can all of a sudden gel it all together and realize just how bad that other parent was without mommy or daddy telling them. They make up their own mind. My children are still doing it. Remember, I was married twice. But especially with the father, which is the hardest to be hit by, they saw all the neglect. They saw it without me saying a word. They saw it. They felt it. Hey, the phone got ripped off the wall, didn't pay the bill. Hey, I have to go to the church and ask for oil so we don't freeze to death, okay? He was a gambling man. I didn't know that, Lori. Until he went into my daughter's little piggy bank that she had, and she was just a brownie. Hadn't become a Girl Scout yet. She was a brownie. And she was selling calendars for the brownies. That was her job. So she had the money that she had to hand in. So what does he do? He goes and he takes it while she's sleeping. He even stooped that low. That's low. So you see, it's better, you know, they have a pretty good idea, and then when the aftershock, like they're speaking about here, settles down and they can think and they're getting help, they're going to a psychiatrist or a therapist or a counselor, whatever. They're going to someone that they can talk to, and they can show them how they deserve better treatment and why they should have gotten better treatment. They can make up their own minds themselves. So that takes pressure off of the victim. It takes pressure off of the victim from the children realizing, hey, it wasn't all mommy's fault or all daddy's fault. I remember what I saw. But it takes a while. And when that day comes, believe me, and I know this from my own thing that I went through, you feel so much better. I don't have to keep trying to, um, but I did this for you and I, I did that for you. I, I read you golden books, <laughs> all right, and, and all this other stuff. Um, they know from what they saw, they start remembering, and that's the best way to do it. So with kids that don't get help, they have many times a violent temper, okay, um, and, and that's, a, that's a very bad thing, a very bad thing, because violent tempers can do a domino effect, okay, in their brain. And if they're around children, for God's sake, they do get married, and they teach their wife anger, and they teach their children anger, or their husband anger, whichever it is, that the guy who's pushing the broom talking to it, the, the domino effect sets in. And every single one of their five children, they had those people had five children, Lori, across the street, all had anger issues, and why wouldn't they? They were beaten almost every night. Okay. So, you know, that's what happens in, in families. This is what happens. And But today you can get help. You can. And, and you should. If you're listening to this show, you're going to listen to it later on. I'm certainly a person who's been through it all as far as violence. 
I became very volatile myself. Um, that's why I punch people in the nose all the time. Isn't that right, Lori? You know? That's and, right. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to say that to me? Boom, take that. <laughs> you know? Uh, I saw detention quite a bit. I did. I admit it. I admit it. I saw detention quite a bit. Yes, I did. And uh, violence doesn't, you know, violence breeds violence. That's why we're having such a terrible problem out on the street. I'm not going to talk about the politics of it because that's something different and that's ugly. And the violence that's out on the street, that's ugly too. But when you see kids like beating up a uh, a 70-year-old woman or whatever, because he wants her purse, um, think about the home he came from or she came from. And they, they think they have the right to go in and loot in stores. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from where they came from, okay? What they're fed, what they're taught or not taught, they certainly don't know anything about boundaries. That's the last thing in this world they know about. They weren't taught boundaries. I wasn't taught boundaries. But I knew that if I was going to live, I had to get the hell out of there for a while, of that house. And I've said this before on air, and I'll say it one more and last time. I was treated well out on the street. I was like their little sister. They took care of me. They didn't try to get fresh with me, and they didn't lay one finger on me. And by the way, they're standing there shooting up heroin. And it was from two to ten bags a day, depending on who it was. They did allow for me to drink. That was bad. And I was popping some quaaludes. And I'm saying that it's a, a miracle that I'm here today because of what I did. They didn't seem to know that was bad. And I did see two of my friends die right in front of me. I wasn't safe at home, but at least out on the street, I was not being sexually abused. I wasn't being beaten, um, and the pizzerias were real nice. They gave out pizza. <laughs> so, you know, but anyway, the point is, when a kid comes from a home what they feel like they have to run from, or they stay there because they're afraid to run from it. They're in trouble. So when people judge kids who are out on the street, they have to start remembering where they came from and start looking at it if they can. But remember, a kid who's happy stays home. A kid who's happy doesn't have usually a violent temper unless there's something wrong with them but doesn't usually have a violent temper. And they come from happy parents and brothers and sisters. That's what a home is supposed to look like. Many, many, many of us on NASCA didn't have that. But I learned from it. So the kids always knew. They never had the question, does mommy love me? And if they have a daddy, did daddy love me? Does he love me? Whatever. I tell my kids every time I see them that I love them. And I've done that ever since day one. They know they're loved. And I treat them very well, the way that I would want to be treated. 
So these kids have grown up to be pretty darn good kids. And I might add, they've been working their butts off since they were 16 years old. And today, they have wonderful homes. They have absolutely beautiful homes. And it's because they work so hard. So that's pretty much what I have to say. And I, it's, you know, it's Domestic Bully Month. That's what it is, Domestic Violence Bully Month. It is almost over. So I just wanted to get that in there because I do an awful lot of research into this stuff, and plus I lived it. I, I always keep saying, Lori, you know this, and Philip, you know it too. How many times do I say when you've walked to walk, you can talk to talk? That's why people like us, all right, I have education. Lori has some education. You have some education, Philip, I'm sure. I don't know. That's Someday you'll tell us that stuff when you're ready. But the point is this. I have worked with professors. I have worked police. And they didn't know nearly enough about child abuse. Uh, and daycare centers. They didn't know enough about child abuse. So what can we do? We can do something so simple just to make a lot of copies. Go to our website, naasca.org. That's nasca.org. Go on to prevention, intervention, recovery like I told you how. Next to the last block on the right-hand side. I think it says on top for our children or something like that. Click on to that. And make copies of the red flags of child abuse so that people like in daycare centers have a better idea of what to look for. Community has a better idea because you can put it on billboards or or whatever they have in the store where cars are being sold, houses are for sale, whatever. You can put it on there also, but you have to ask first. You have to find the right stores. You can put it in laundromats. I've put it in laundromats. And it's so simple. You just simply take a few articles that you like and and take a picture of it or whatever you do. I have my daughter do that part. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> and then I take it over to Staples and um, have many copies made. And even the, the post office in Phillipsburg, where I used to live, they let me put it in there. And, in fact, they took it from there, and they put it right next to those that are wanted by the FBI. <laughs> I got such a charge out of that. And people like that. Because, you see, those who abuse children are criminals. That's why we call it crimes against children. Because when you're beating a child, or if you're sexually abusing a child, or if you're emotionally abusing a child, never making them feel special, never praising them when they do good, never teaching them right from wrong, Never listening to them, never sitting them down and having conversations with them. That's emotional abuse. And you belong up there, too, right next to the FBI people, all right? The ones that are looking for them. These are the people who ruin families, all the fighting, all the drugs, all the alcohol, all these things I've spoken about throughout this show is what tears tears 
a family apart, and and the children are totally, their spirits are broken, and they don't know right from wrong, and they stand around like Lori and I did, and they look at what we feel is what's normal people, and we wish to help that we had had it, okay? And instead of feeling, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry for yourself, instead, hold on a second. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself, <clears throat> treat your children well. Treat your children well. They're going to love you for it, and you're going to love yourself for it because you did better from where you came, and that's successful. Now, Lori, is there something you want to add, something you want to talk about quickly? Yeah, it is kind of true. Um, Like I told you, I found out that Gilda is still alive at 93, and she's not in a nursing home. Uh, She's in some kind of assisted living, whatever. And this all comes through uh, my sister's kid to my husband. They're close. And for some reason, he feels the need to tell me these things. Like, I get care, you know. I left, I left. The best thing I ever did in my life. No contact is the best way to do it. I just had to rebuild, you know. I had no foundation, had to invent one, had a handicapped kid, managed to kind of make it work, and, you know, now everything is just, like, in play. So I don't expect anything really to change. For me, it was just a matter of making sure Um that my son's taken care of. That's what comes out of um, when you're the mother of a difficult child, whatever, say, handicap covers so many things, but of a difficult child, that's going to make or break marriage too. Uh, believe mm-hmm. in that. A little bit of, of pressure in a rocky relationship, it's going to just go. Yep. So those, those are something. You know, a lot of parents aren't aware of. Um, they need to have in groups, I would think, to meet and discuss it. I haven't met nobody in the situation that I'm in with mine. But I left, you know, New York. I know that they were there were people there. Not enough because most people walk out when the kids got problems. They need to be incorporated in everything because those kids are also in everybody's neighborhood. No matter if they're blind, deaf, have Down syndrome, whatever, they're they're all around. Um, they need to be even considered and looked out for even more than we do, um, you know, the kid that can run or, or whatever. They can't run because they don't know how to run. So getting through to those kind of kids, no matter what disability they have, parents actually have to work hard to make sure they know. Because they're vulnerable. And they're the ones who are going to walk away with the strangers because they don't see the world the way it is. And somehow they just don't take it in right. So they have to go the extra mile, whatever it is. I feel if you have a kid, this is what you teach your kid. It's part of um, raising what you promised to have when you gave birth. You know, it's all part of it. So what we did here tonight, excellent. Totally excellent. Any which way you can get the message out by whoever says what, 
it's getting out there, making people think. Eh, maybe somebody will start standing up for somebody else or doing something special for the kid that you see that's got no friends and, you know, you hit the house rocks and whatnot. That little bit, that kid will appreciate. So yeah. that's what the world's about. Need more of those. Well, I, I think that's right. I mean, that's what we do here on the show, you know, is the, one of the first words on our mission statement is educate. So if we educate people the best that we can, all right, with what we know and what we've learned and, and, and what we've worked, whatever, um, we're hoping that people will listen to it and think and say, maybe, you know, maybe I could do a little something. That's why I bring up, you know, and it's not just putting out, uh, you know, pieces of paper. It's putting out information in stores and stuff like that. So this is another way of getting it out there. You put it in enough stores, you know, people learn from that. They learn from it. I've seen people take pictures. Instead of taking things down, they take pictures of things that I hang up. So that's good. You know, those people are thinking, but anyway, I got to get off because the show's over. <laughs> so, I want to thank you and Philip both for you know listening to what I had to teach tonight, and um, I hope people listen later. And uh, yeah, I hope so too. You're really good. Well, thank you, honey. But you know what? We're all survivors, the whole bunch of us. And every time I thank Tracy, I don't know how many times. She says, "We're all survivors." She doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> she puts, "We are all survivors." So this is what we're doing for each other, okay? But also to expand, to expand, you know, just do some something. You see, someone needs help, help them for God's sake. You'll like yourself better. So anyway, I gotta hang up, otherwise we're gonna get cut off or something. So okay, thank you guys, and have a good weekend, Louie. I'll talk to you later or tomorrow, whatever. I'm gonna go have a cup of coffee. Okay. Thank you. Okay, I love you guys. Bye bye. Night. Good night. I'm not tomorrow. Cause that's gone.